Love Talk Radio. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. The Nepalese meditation bowl is chiming, and that means it is time for the art of the CEO. The show for people who enjoy the challenge of business and who want to do it a little better. I am your host, Bart Jackson, the Hieronymus Bosch of business. And whether you're a good old-fashioned advertising exec who puts helpful businesses on the right public pages, like Tom, or director of entrepreneurial studies at a major university, like Susan, we're here to bring you the sage counsel of business masters to help your career and your business. Now, every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, The Art of the CEO streams live through your cyber portal, through the absolute magic of cyberspace, however that works. And every show may be downloaded by visiting blogtalkradio.com slash theartoftheceo. That's blogtalkradio.com slash theartoftheceo. So why not visit and explore for your benefits? Now, today's show, is today's episode, is entitled The Making of a Symphony Orchestra. Yep, today we are taking a very inside look at that very tricky and complex business of performing symphonic art. And we're going to find out just what it takes to put on one concert and how the right management may sustain that effort into a renowned orchestral institution. And also an institution that keeps its fiscal head above water. So by sheer good luck, uh, we have today with us our fe- as featured guest a gentleman who makes that whole process seem smooth and easy, sort of like a swan. You never quite see the feet frantically paddling underneath. I'm talking, of course, about Mr. James Rowe, the CEO of the New Jersey Symphony Orchestra. But before we lay out for you a feast of CEO artistry in the arts, let's take a moment to supply you all out there with a few utensils for our feast. First, as I always do, allow me to remind each of you individuals hearing my voice that the good Lord has gifted you with the title and privileges of Chief Executive Officer of yourself. That's the most important position you'll ever hold in your career. And so I ask, will this be the day that you insert a little discipline into your dreamed-of goals, do the daily push-ups that will lead to the touchdown pass, or will you just keep planning and hoping for the best? The choice, my friend, is truly yours. Secondly, it is time to dip into a little laughter and take a scriptural recitation from 101 Best Business Quips, a marvelous book. And so let me... Here, okay. Oh, oh, here's one. Here's one. This is number sixty-eight. <clears throat> Everything is going downhill. The only thing that's worse than this year's economic climate is last year's. Now, think about that for a moment. And as an afterthought, allow me to remind you that ever since King Tut's financial advisors first bellied up to the throne room, bearing bad news, every year has been forecast as a disaster. So. As for you, why not nix the gloom and doom, concentrate creatively on your sellable skills, and you'll probably end up surprising folks with all your energized success. And as a third utensil, perhaps we should call this uh, utensil the promposity prod, we'll give you the answers to last week's business quotation. Now today, before we leave the air, we'll broadcast another quotation, and we invite you to email us the name of the author, as you believe him or her to be. So simply write info at 
dot com. That's I-N-F-O at B-A-R-T-S-B-O-O-K-S dot com. And if you're right, we will send along to you a marvelous gift from the Dungeons of the Bart's Books bookstore. So this week's uh, author, that is the individual who said, I'm sorry, that's last week's author, the individual who said, I just love deadlines. I love the whooshing noise they make as they go by me, was none other than Douglas Adams, the author who's given us The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, The Salmon of Doubt, and many other very bizarre gems. So now, let us dig into today's feast and call upon the expertise of that man who so skillfully handled the entire New Jersey Symphony Orchestra as a business and as an institution, Mr. James Rowe. Jim, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Bart. It's wonderful to talk to you. Oh, good. Well, we're so glad that you could join us. Um, Now, before... uh, Jim, as I understand, before you took over NJSO's CEO slot in June of 2013, I remember seeing you. You held an even more vital role as the first oboe in that orchestra. And I was wondering if you could explain to all our listeners why yours is the first and foremost note of every performance. The principal oboe has for for centuries uh, in orchestras provided the tuning note at the beginning of every concert. So that signature sound that you hear, one steady pitch sounded alone, and then sort of the the, the cloud of cacophony that uh, that surrounds it eventually um, before the conductor walks out. And uh, so that's that is the responsibility of the first oboe to uh, to give that sound. And uh, it's it's one it sets the tune for the for the whole concert in a sense. Well, that's that's very good. And then the the uh, concert master picks it up and spreads it out. I it is so nice. I I think every concert I've ever been in, it's so nice to have everybody in tune. It, it uh, seems like a nice idea. <laughs> um, you know, you know, but I have to tell you that the the beginning yeah. of that. Tr- tradition was because uh, in the Baroque era, the oboe couldn't tune itself. So everyone had to conform to where the oboe was that particular day. This Nowadays, we try to be much more um, scientific about it. (laughs) I I thought it was because they could all that. Jeez, that I didn't know. Fascinating, right? Jim, now you've had managerial experience before, uh, or orchestral managerial experience. And, but the move from esteemed instrumentalist to CEO strikes me as a bit atypical. I, I know that some media are citing it as a trend, but, but what is the more usual for, source for a symphonic CEO? Usually, uh, leadership in, um, in the administrative side of a symphony orchestra comes uh, from within, um, if not that particular orchestra, um, but from the world of arts administrators around the country. Uh, you cannot get a, a degree necessarily in uh, in managing an orchestra, but the League of American Orchestras, which is which is which is in New York, does provide excellent leadership training for those who are interested. Very often, people will get a degree in a musical instrument and discover at some point that uh, that they're maybe not called to be a professional performer and start looking in the field where their passion has been and find ways to to add to their skills to get a place get to a place where they can take a leadership role. Now, in the last 20 months, five of us 
who were principal members of their orchestras have gone on to be the CEO of that same orchestra. And as it turns out, the five of us are all about the same age, and a number of us went to uh, Juilliard at the same time in the early 90s. And the thing that I think is... The thing that I think that's really striking about this cohort is none of us were looking to be the CEO of an orchestra where we were not playing. We all had a passion for the orchestra where we were, and when the call came to step up, we did. Huh. Well, that's fascinating. I think it's. I, I'm sure that it, it it is a it is quite a quite a leap. And uh, I know that the tasks and the skills of orchestral leadership are like nothing else anywhere. And uh, so, so to sort of give us that idea, um, I was wondering if if we could uh, if you could give us a little bit of an idea of what is going on. Uh, how many People, how many musicians first are involved in the NJSO, the total crew, and um, about how many of them do you have? Contact? Sure, and I'm going to answer this question a little bit. Um, I'm going to take it up one level, Bart, and talk about uh, the symphony orchestra as a governance structure, because there are so many okay. lines of authority in a symphony orchestra. Of course, there's a, the conductor, who's the most visible leader. There's a CEO, who's much less visible. And then there's the chair of the board. And, and so those are our three main categories of stakeholders, aside from our audiences. Uh, the audiences don't have a leader, <laughs> but the other three groups right. do. So, so the but, conductor, but they have an endless voice. Clients are very important, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Do not, yes, and absolutely. no one knows that more than Jim. Right. So, uh, so there are 66 contracted musicians, and of course, led by the music director. Uh, the staff is uh, is about 38 right now, and then the board is is north of 40 right now. And so those are the oh, the, huh? the three main groups. Make for long meetings. Well, you well, know, now, the, um, in a not-for-profit board, of course, it's different than a for-profit board. So um, having a large board with with committees that do the majority of the work is pretty much the norm. Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. Uh, now, I was wondering if you could uh, elaborate a little bit and give us just some of the positions, the more interesting positions necessary to put on a single concert live to the public. What are some of the chores and tasks that people might not think of that are very, very vital? Well, you know, hopefully um, the the backstage tour only happens for a few people, but I'll be happy to, to pull back the curtain for <laughs> uh, for your audience part. Um, so the, uh, the, the cohort of people on stage uh, – on any given night have been working um, on uh, that night's concert for probably a year and a half prior to when it actually happens. The artistic planning cycle uh, you know, begins very early. We plan things out very far in advance. But the actual um, schedule to a Saturday night usually begins on a Tuesday when the orchestra meets and seats the, the music together for the first time, rehearses Tuesday through Friday. Um, we perform Friday, Saturday, Sunday, sometimes Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And uh, so, and then now, Jim, we turn I'd like to interrupt corner and we have right a new there. week. You're telling me, hold on, Jim, just a sec. You said that, uh, and folks, I'd like you to listen to this. They, refor- they see a piece of music and perhaps a guest conductor that they've never known, walks in, and they have from Tuesday to Friday to rehearse this whole performance? Yes, they do. 
These are th- this wow. is an ensemble filled with virtuosos uh, who are very experienced. Mm-hmm. Now they get their own personal right. parts well in advance, so they can prepare the tricky yeah. passages. Uh, but like any expert team, they're focused at the first rehearsal and they're ready to go at the first concert a few days later. My gosh, I I I sorry I interrupted you, but I wanted the folks to realize. So if you think you have pressure coming up with a new product, my friends, you just remember this. <laughs> so, so go ahead, Jim, tell us a little more. Sure, and then but but then it might be curious to think about what we're how we're actually delivering the product and, and what is the transaction yeah. that makes it happen. Because if, okay. if someone is a subscriber to the symphony, they may be asked in January of one year to buy a ticket for May in the following year. Uh, so we, right. have, we, we do pre-sell our subscriptions very far in advance, but we also want to sell tickets close to the event. And so there will be a mix of people who have come because they committed to the orchestra a year ago. There will be a mix of people who have decided to come at the very last minute. And so that wonderful mix of the, the loyalists and the, and the trialists, if you will, is, uh, is, a, is a great way to think about our demographic. Well, I think this is uh – the obviously you want to sell as many tickets get as many people as you can but i also know that there is a massive gap uh between the earned income the money from sales of various products and the the ticket sales of course and the uh, the expenses and those are made up for by contributions what's the ratio between income and and contributed funds before I answer that question, Bart, I want to make sure everyone in the in your audience is sitting down. Uh, so, because uh, <laughs> okay, ladies and gentlemen, the, the the New Jersey Symphony Orchestra pretty much is is standard to the industry in this in this uh, earned income gap we call it. So, uh, we earn about a th- about thirty percent of our expenses. We pay for the other seventy percent of our expenses through contributions. This is often called earned income and contributed income. Uh, Trust me, we earn the contributed income as well, and we do it every oh, single yes, day. Yes. And, and so the, the, sure complex it... of, <laughs> the complex array of revenue streams for an orchestra is one of the real management challenges. And mm. I, I will say that the majority of our, of our income, both earned and contributed, comes from the group of people who are in the audience. And, uh, and and whether or not they are buying a ticket or making a contribution, large or small, um, it's the it's our audience. It's not the government. It's not it's not corporate sponsors. It's not special events or right. foundations that do the do the lion's share. It's really the lion's share is carried carried on by the loyal people in the audience. And I would like to talk a little bit more about the earned income gap with you. And and if you think back to the week I described, uh, where we might have on any given week four rehearsals and three performances, of course we can monetize those three performances. We sell tickets. The four rehearsals we cannot sell tickets for. So so when someone decides that they want to be a contributor to the orchestra, what they are contributing to is living artists in their communities who are creating art for their communities. And so it's it's getting in on the inside. It's becoming a, a supporter, an investor, if you will, in the creation of a living art form right here uh, in, the, in the communities of New Jersey. And that's why we're a compelling case. That's why we're able to, to raise uh, 70% of our revenue from contributions. Now, also, ladies and gentlemen, I, I think that's he, – uh, he brings up – Jim brings up a very good point here, that, that the clients – 
are there. They're present. They're involved in the art form. And the other thing that uh, we're going to ask Jim a little bit more about when we come back is about the social outreach, the benefits that they, uh, that the orchestra, that the NJSO, and, and so many other uh, orchestras around the nation are bringing to the culture, to the society in which in which they operate. But right now, and I do want to get to that. Right now, ladies and gentlemen, we've come to the midpoint of our feast, so I would beg us all to take a brief sorbet. It's time for me to introduce to you the company by whose good graces we are here today. And that firm is Prometheus Publishing, creator of Bart's Books Ultimate Business Guides. And you may visit Bart's Books at uh, bartsbooks.com, B-A-R-T-S-B-O-O-K-S.com, and explore a wealth of very practical wisdom from business masters. The folks at Prometheus Publishing would like to invite you today to take a look at one of their more sought-after guidebooks. Uh, and that book is in, uh, entitled... So that's how they do it, Tactics of Business Masters. If you've ever wondered how the great players and leaders of all sizes of business got where they are, pick up a copy of this book and find out what's worked for the successful, and also find out how you may apply these tactics to your life and to your work. You can find The Art of the CEO at bartsbooks.com, so why not visit and browse the bookstore. Ladies and gentlemen, and all of those who are wise enough to play in this snow rather than bemoan it, we are back with Mr. James Rowe and Mar that marvelously adept CEO of the incredibly talented New Jersey Symphony Orchestra. Now, Jim, uh, I started. I promised I would ask, and I'd like you if you could give us a brief thumbnail sketch of some of the social outreach that the orchestra does to uh, beyond the, the sheer performance of concerts. I'm very happy to because this is a real central part of our mission and it's really in the DNA of our organization. And uh, so not only do we put on uh, great performances in sixth grade concert halls throughout the state. But we have a, vi a vibrant education and community engagement program, which is a, uh, a full 20% of our, our budget goes uh, to these efforts. And, okay. uh, and so not only, do we, not only do we play the full symphonic concerts, uh, where we reach a statewide audience of 120,000, every year we reach up to 40,000 of our neighbors um, through a much more individualized approach. Approach. And in uh, one of the things that's great about a symphony orchestra is that it's not a building. It's not. Um, right. Uh, it's an right. organic being, and we can break up into or groups of five or four or three or even one single musician and send them out, deploy them strategically in a way where they can make a difference in their communities. We have a concerted, uh, concerted outreach program for the, uh, for the autistic community that has had incredible oh, results wonderful. in touching lives. And I don't know if you know, oh, New Jersey has a, a very high proportion of people on the autism scale. And so we've provided the musicians special professional development, uh, so that they are able to, to reach these communities in, in very specific ways for high impact. But on now, the Jim, other hand, well, there how are does the, How do the musicians respond to that? I'm curious. Uh, when, when they, at, at the autism, what has been their response to, to dealing uh, with the, the autistic individuals? Well, musicians love audiences. And that, I can tell you, as <laughs> <laughs> someone who was a professional musician for 30 years. And so seeing, right. seeing a person 
light up, seeing you know the 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 joy uh, in the eyes of a person who is listening, whether it be one or two thousand people at the NJ Pack. That is something that that draws the best out of a musician. And so our musicians understand that as part of the communities of the state, we need to be with the people in the communities. And that's uh, that's very central for them. So they, they love this kind of work. Oh, that's great. Well, now, when you took over uh, the symphony orchestra, you, you were aware of what a symphony consists of and, and what it demands, but you must have felt a little bit like the fellow who's nudged off a cliff and being asked to learn how to fly. I was just wondering, uh, what were some of the skills and abilities that you felt that were demanded of you that either you had or that you had to hurry up and <laughs> and, and develop real quick? Uh, so... That's a great question, Bart, and uh, I, I have to say that I, I couldn't have enjoyed the success that I have so far uh, were it not for the uh, complete support of the board of directors of the New Jersey Symphony Orchestra and especially my uh, my co-chairs, Ruth Lipper and Steve Sechek, who are, who are right there behind me. I couldn't do what I'm doing without their support. And indeed, uh, my close colleague, Susan Stucker, the chief operating officer of the New Jersey Symphony Orchestra, who's been here for, for 25 years. Uh, it's an it's an expert staff, and I always say I went from one virtuoso team to another when I moved from from the player side to the to the management side. And I really feel that every day you begin learning, and you don't stop. And uh, so, without being too specific, I can just say if a person is curious, then they'll succeed in a job like this. Hmm. That's. That's uh, something, ladies and gentlemen. I'd like to just take a moment and and note that as a quill pen moment. That is a Jim has just spoken. What we think is a timeless truth is that you had better not just be good at the job you have in front of you, or be skilled, or even like it, but you want to be curious about the new things and new potential things that that will inspire you to reach out and to take that little bit of risk and to try something new that has uh, not been been tried before. So I mark that down in your uh, ledgers, ladies and gentlemen, and please take note. Now, uh, Jim, with all these consummate professionals around you, both uh, in the office uh, the uh, and, and, of course, out in, in the symphony, the NJSO's people problems must be, shall we say, challenging in the extreme. Now, I, I'm, I'm going to ask you, be honest, how do you, I'm, I'm going to ask you how you deal with divas. We, I'm sure when you get consummate professionals in, in any field, uh, it's tough. How do you blend, uh, shall we say, some of the more ordinary individuals into the team game? It's. I think part. It's all about being able to articulate a vision and build alignment around achieving that. And you know, I think most organizations uh, talk about the, the the challenges posed by silos, people being too wrapped up in in their own department and their own departmental goals. Uh, in the last six months, uh, the the senior management team here. Uh, took a long look at our strategic plan. We, I came in in the middle of a five-year plan. And right. we just have released a refresh of this plan in which we took the tactics and the goals and reorganized it rather, in, rather than having them be departmental chapters. But we identified two 
uh, two organization-wide goals uh, with benchmarks that have to be met by interdepartmental collaboration. And so we felt that the whole strategic plan could be boiled down to two essential ideas. How do we, you know, these ideas, of course, are how we um, achieve our mission. Um, but the, right. the first is to build our audiences, and the second is to achieve financial stability, always hard for performing arts groups. Sure, sure. So, so, so now marketing, development, artistic operations, finance, the musicians, the board, each have their own benchmarks within those two goals. Oh, okay. And so, so, so as an organization, we're asked to have the conversation about success every morning when we come in. We know how our part fits into the whole, and we know that when one part falters, the other part has to step up. And so we feel that this, this way of organizing all of our work around shared goals will, in fact, take the diva out of the st- spotlight and really push us, put all of our shoulders <laughs> behind the same wheel. Oh, I think that's that's a that's a very good idea. I think the the idea of interlocking an organization and, as you say, making shared goals really puts uh, everybody in in perspective, and they realize mm-hmm. uh, not how much how little value they're adding, but how much more value they're adding. I would think. And right. now. You, you've done a lot of of work here, and uh, but uh, to be quite honest, despite all efforts, and this is nationwide, attendance at classical musical performances is experiencing a dramatic recline, uh, decline. Uh, depending on which survey you believe, you can some are citing numbers of almost a one third decrease in attendance since 2000. This situation, to me, as I look at it, sort of seems to beg two questions. Uh, and the first one is, why are folks not attending the Marvelous Concerts? What, what's your thought? Well, we, we can't ask the ones who are not here why they're not coming. We, we can speculate, right. however. And, and I think that um, one of the things you were talking earlier on in your, in your preamble about the magic of the Internet and the, I think the most utopian ideas about the Internet and how it was going to uh, connect people. I think probably anyone right. who spent time looking at, their, at their, self, their smartphone and tapping on it with their thumb probably understands that, that essentially the contemporary culture, which is led by digitized interaction, has created a famine actually in authentic experience and a, and a famine in our culture for authentic interaction. And so for the New Jersey Symphony, we feel that, that our competition really is in the atomized world of digitized interaction. So we, what we've begun doing this year, we've, we've, um, we've instigated a, a program called NJSO Accents. These are events that take place before a concert, at intermission, or after a concert that provide social interaction as well as a connection with the musical art that these events frame. And so when someone comes to the New Jersey Symphony Orchestra, they will hear a great uh, concert, of course, but there will be interesting aspects of their lives that are touched that maybe they, they weren't expecting to be touched from, uh, from simply attending a concert. And whether it be as simple as, a, as an interview uh, after a concert, Concert with the with the guest artist or something more complex like orchestra U Y O U something we instigated last year where we invited uh, 
amateur musicians to bring their instruments to the concert. We sent them a, the, the mus- music to a piece from uh, Bizet's Carmen in advance. And then after the, uh-huh. after the performance, in the lobby of the NJPAC, we assembled uh, a, an orchestra of about 80 people and, uh, and made a joyful noise together. And, and so the amateurs sat with members of our orchestra conducted by um, our conductor of education and community engagement, Jeff Grogan. And uh, as it oh. turned out, one of, one of the musicians, one of the amateur musicians, was a reporter for NPR, and we had a five-minute piece on all things considered discussing this. But the publicity aside... Oh, Jim, that's great. Most, I, I'm going to interrupt you because I have just one yeah. more quick question, yeah. and we're heading oh, out sure. of time. And Jacques Lacombe has... It's been barely a year since we presented NJSO's conductor and music director, Jacques Lacombe, with a copy of our book, The Art of the CEO, to which he, he very generously lent his insights. And he's done such a good job, I feel, but now he's moving on. And um, I just want to, if you could, in, in about two sentences, give me a uh, assure us that uh, things will be going on as uh, in, in full steam ahead, right? Full steam ahead, absolutely. And uh, we're so pleased with the six years we will have had with Jacques. He's really challenged us to look at the concert experience in brand new ways and and, uh, we're sad to see him go and and we really wish him well as his international star rises. Okay, Jim, I thank you very much. This has been, you've done given us so much and so ladies and gentlemen i thank you for listening and as we round out the show allow me to give you the business quotation who was the person who said have you ever noticed that oh what the hell seems usually to be the right decision to make and finally as is a parting shot in the words of my wife's husband I'm going to ask you, what do you call a person who bursts into your offices, raises everyone's hopes and expectations, then performs no work whatsoever and sends you a whopping bill? That's a consultant. (laughs) Jim, I thank you for coming. Ladies and gentlemen, as always, it has been a privilege. I thank you.